Welcome to the College Park Church of Christ Sermon Series Podcast. This sermon was recorded at the College Park Church of Christ in the Conroe Porter area. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks for studying the Word of God with us. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's great to have this privilege to look into God's Word and to study together and to worship together as we have uh, thus far. And if you're visiting with us, we are particularly thankful for you for being here today. As we've mentioned, we are continuing our series of study, Eight Weeks to a Better Body. And we're talking about really the body, the church. Uh, That's what we're really talking about. But we're going to use some of the examples that uh, the Bible uses in describing the church by describing the body and how the body works together and so forth. And we're going to use that to talk about things that we can do as members of a local body and as we fit into the church universal, what are those things that we can do that will help the body to be effective and accomplish the mission that it has been given. My topic for today is growth and maturity. And as I thought about that topic and began to study and to put together my my thoughts for today, I began to see that growth and maturity is not a destination. It's not something that we can arrive at and say, I am grown, I am mature, because there's always going to be room in our life to improve and to grow and to mature in our relationship to God. We, there's not a one of us that knows it all. There's not a one of us that doesn't have failings and shortcomings. Uh, But through that, we ought to be able to see over a period of time growth and maturity in our life. And so we want to talk about that, and we're going to look at some of the different systems of the the body to help us make make that point. Let's begin with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are you not carnal, and walk as men? So we can see a couple of things in this verse. First of all, the Apostle Paul has an expectation that there should be growth in a Christian's life. He said, I fed you with milk, because of the time that I stayed with you, and he was there some period over a year, maybe as long as a year and a half, he has left, and now he's riding back to them. And so he spent a good amount of time with him. He says, I fed you with milk because you really weren't ready. You didn't get to the point where you could have meat or strong doctrines or deeper understanding of the relationship with God and so forth. And as evidence that they weren't there, he points out that whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions. So one of the ways we can gauge ourselves as a person, as a family, as a congregation is are there envying, strife, and divisions among us. If we are seeing that as a matter of rule and not the exception, because I don't know that we can ever be as a group of people totally free from envying or strife or divisions because we're in the flesh and we have weaknesses and we have bad moments, we have bad hair days, all those kinds of things, right? So we're going to have some of these things, but they ought to be the exception 
not the rule about how we conduct ourselves in the kingdom of Christ and in a local body of believers as we have here. He goes on and says later in that letter, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So when I grew up, I quit acting like a child. Now he has just given us three things that are acting like children. They're acting like babes, envyings, strife, and divisions. He says, but when I became mature, I put away those things. And so you see that there is an expectation from the Apostle Paul, an expectation of the Holy Spirit who is speaking through the Apostle Paul, that there be growth in the body of Christ. So let's start with uh, one of the systems that we have, nutrition. Nutrition is critical, and I want to say it now to make it very, very clear. Okay, Nutrition is part of the success of every system of the body that we're going to talk about. So in case I forget to bring up nutrition when we're talking about other components, understand that it is a fundamental aspect that contributes to the body's health. Now we've got medical professionals among us, so uh, they may talk to me afterwards about some of the things I say, and that's okay. I'm not a medical professional, okay? But I do know that nutrition is important and it's fundamental to your body's health. And I've got a chart here of different, different things. Remember what Jesus said? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we are supposed to have nutrition. It should not live by bread alone. He's recognizing we need bread, we need substance, we need nutrition. He's recognizing that. But there's something more important than that. And that's the Word of God. But we see kind of this balanced uh, uh, chart here. <clears throat> I suppose it's balanced. Again, I'm not a medical professional. But I do know if I spend a lot of time up here in the sweets and the sugars and a lot of time down here in the breads and the carbohydrates, I look like this, okay? I'm not balanced. And that's easily seen that I'm not balanced in this area where I need to be balanced in this area. I really truly do. Because nutrition's important to the rest of the things that we're going to talk about. But there's something more important, and that's God's Word. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2 and 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Again, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter is signifying that there ought to be growth. We ought to plan for growth. Yes, we're going to start with the fundamentals, the first principles, those sorts of things. But the idea is to be hungry Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because they will be filled, right? So if we hunger and thirst, that doesn't mean we're hungry or we're thirsty as a result of a lack of the Word of God in our life, but it is showing that we have a desire to have the Word of God in our life and that we seek after those things. And if we do, we're going to be filled in a spiritual way. Hebrews 5.12, For when... For the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Again, there's this expectation. Yeah, you're going to start with, with milk, but you ought to grow. In fact, to some, he's saying, you ought to be teachers of this. Now, let's use teacher in a broader scheme of things, not just who gets up in the pulpit. But we ought to be teachers of the Word of God. We ought to have spent enough time in it certainly at some point in our life, to where we begin 
teaching and passing on the information and passing on what we've learned of the Word of God to other people. We ought to be in that position instead of having to have someone come and keep teaching us the very fundamentals, the very first principles of, the, of, the, of God. Those are important, and we, we certainly need those. But there's a point where we need to move beyond the first principles and grow and mature. I love this description here. Ezekiel, the third chapter, beginning in 1b through verse 4, says, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You and I ought to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness to the degree that we are going to devour the Word of God. In fact, if you look up some of the words in the Old Testament that are translated uh, uh, meditation, that word is uh, onomatopoeia. I like using that in pulpit, you know. But that's what it's like buzz and plop. They, they They are a word that describes a sound. And the word that's translated into um meditation is one of those. It's a Hebrew word that is an onomatopoeia. And it's, it is the sound of devouring. That kind of, that kind of sound, okay? I'm sure that's bad, but a, a bad rendition of it. But you get the idea. If you've ever, walk, if you've ever watched uh, The Walking Dead, you know what that sound is, is, is like, right? So, but that's the way we ought to be with the Word of God, so much so that we can't but help to, to share the Word with other people. And so, but if we don't put the Word in, the Word's not going to come out. We're not going to get it any other way than through our, our, our work and our effort and our sweat and our tears and so forth to learn the Word of God and spend time in it. It's critical that we do that. God's Word is to the Spirit what nutrition is to the body. It's that important. And fundamental to all the other things I'm going to talk about is the Word of God. Everything else I talk about is going to depend on a baseline fundamental understanding that we are in God's Word and we're studying it and we're applying it to our life. We're meditating on it. We're devouring it. Bones. Bones are important. You know, they are the, the, the structure. They are the foundation, if you will, if I can use that term, uh, of the body. Everything is tied to the bones and the fact that we can, we can hold, up, hold ourselves up and we can, uh, we can hold weights and we can support things. We can carry our brides across the threshold and those sorts of things because of our bones. Our bones allow us to do that. It's very, input, it's very important, but there's something more important to us spiritually and that's the foundation. Every one of us are building a house. Remember what Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So all of us are building a house. The question is, what is the foundation that you're building your house on? Okay? We can build the most expensive house, have all the finest uh, craftsmen build and frame a house, but if it's on a bad foundation, guess what? It's going to fall, right? Jesus said, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded on a rock. It had a solid foundation, this house, 
And he said, And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and, and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house on a sand. On the sand. So if we can put all the effort in building this glorious house for ourselves, and I'm talking spiritually now, I'm not talking about your place of abode. I'm talking spiritually. We can build this house in the most grand way that we, we want to, but if it is on unstable, an unstable foundation, it will fail, it will fall, and great will the destruction be when it does fall. Matthew said to Peter, and this is in the discussion, he says, who do, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And he goes on in verse 18 and says, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock is that I am Christ, the Son of God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not only is this church that he's building going to be able to withstand wind and rain and storms and surges and all of those sorts of things, it's going to be able to prevail against the, the gates of hell as well. It's going to be that solid, that great, and you and I want to build our houses and our congregation on the solid rock that was laid by Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul said here, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So you and I are going to build our house. And it's a house, it may be a house for myself. It may be a house for me and my wife. It may be a house for me and my family. It may be a house for me and my, my wife and my family and my congregation and those sorts of things. But the question is, what are you going to build on that foundation? What are you going to use to guide you in that? Well, he, he told us over here, these sayings of mine. We're talking about the Word of God, right? If, we were, if we're going to build our marriage, we need to build it on the Word of God, on the foundation that Jesus laid. That's how our marriages are going to be successful. If we're going to build a family, we want to build it on the sayings of Christ, on the Word of God. That's what we want to build on our foundation. If we're going to build a congregation that is going to be able to change this community, it needs to be built according to the sayings of Jesus on the foundation that Christ laid. And that's how we'll be successful. Muscles and joints, and I recognize that there's also cartilage, there's ligaments and tendons and all kinds of things. In fact, Rick kind of messed up some of that uh, not too long ago. So, uh, but, and we understand uh, that, that there's more to it, but I'm just narrowing it down to muscles and joints. You can have the best strong bones in the world, but you know, if you don't have muscles and joints, what do you do? I don't know. You know, you can't move. You can't flex. You can't do things. Exercise is important. And I mentioned it earlier that it's one of the things that is important to our body to have exercise. Now, some of us have jobs we get plenty of exercise in the jobs that we do. I understand that. Others of us, I've been an office worker for a lot of my, my life, and I'm now I'm retired, so I have no excuse. But exercise needs to be a part of my, my life in order for me to be healthy because me being healthy has implications to what I'm able to do in the kingdom of Christ as well, right? So, so we need balance in nutrition, and we need balance in, in our exercise to do these things, and the muscles and joints, they help us to do that. 
Let's look at what Timothy, what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. But, re, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, what Paul is not saying is forget about exercise. He's making a comparative statement here, right? We need exercise. We've said that. We agree with that. Most of you nod your heads, yes, we need exercise. But by comparison to exercising ourselves in godliness, compared to exercising ourselves in God's word and devouring God's word, it, it, it profits little in comparison to that. So we can think about how much time we spend in exercise and we compare that to the amount of time that we spend in God's Word, there shouldn't be a, a deficiency there, a deficit there, right? We ought to spend more time in God's Word than we do exercise. Recognizing that exercise is important, we need to, we need to do it. Faith is to the spirit what muscles and joints are to the body. It helps us to move. It helps us to advance. We're not going to read all of Hebrews 11, but we want to look at Hebrews 11 and 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if we read the rest of, of chapter 11, we would read about all the things that faith moved God's people to do. And so it is what creates action in us is our faith. It is to the Spirit uh, as muscles and joints are to our body. It helps us to move. Ephesians 4 and 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working of the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, if you want to increase your biceps or your calves, like, like uh, Brother Cecil said Wednesday night, don't forget leg day. Did I, where is he? Did I quote you right? Don't skip it. I even asked him ahead of time and I got it wrong. Don't skip leg day, right, when you're doing exercises because you'll get not in proportion. You need to exercise everything. But if you want to increase the size of any one muscle, guess what? There's targeted exercises that will help you have the buffest pecs and biceps and calves that you, you want to have. Well, guess what? What we need to do is as a body from whom, from Jesus, he's the head uh, of the body, and the rest of us are, are those parts that are compacted together and every joint supplies to it, makes increase of the body. We want to grow our congregation. We can grow it in several different ways. I think the application I want to make here is bringing new people into the body of Christ. If we want to make an increase of the body of Christ, we've all got to work together. We've got to be compacted and, and, and provide whatever it is that we can, we can provide. Brother Cecil covered a lot of that last week, and Brother Andrew is going to give us application of today's sermon this Wednesday night. So maybe we'll get some more things that will help us on the day-to-day -day reality of how do we put in practice these concepts and principles that I'm covering today. Circulatory system. It's an incredible system when you think about it. Um, you know, you, you breathe in oxygen, and there's an exchange between the lungs and the heart, 
and the heart takes, or the circulatory system, takes that oxygenated blood and sends it to every cell in the body and then takes the carbon dioxide from those cells, takes it all the way back up to the lungs, and then it's expelled. And we do that every day. We do it all night when we're sleeping. We don't have to tell ourselves to do it and those sorts of things. It's, it's just occurring. What happens if you have a blood clot somewhere? And that oxygen doesn't get to those blood cells. Starts getting numb, starts getting cold. And if you don't take care of that blood clot, eventually that flesh is going to die. It's going to wither and it's going to weaken and then it's going to die. And so you've you got to get that, that sort of thing taken care of. Well, what is the equivalent to the circulatory system for a church? It's love. The heart of a community of believers, a congregation of God's people, needs to take love and that we receive from God the Father and Jesus Christ. We take that love and it is sent to every single member and it touches every single member. If there's a clot somewhere between me or the heart of this congregation and that member, what happens to that member? They begin to get numb. They begin to, to maybe lose focus. They, be, they become weakened because they're not receiving the love that the congregation should be providing them. And, that, listen, and let's read what, what, what he said about love. Now, charity here is the, word, the Greek word agape. It's the high-level love. It's the God love for us. It's that kind of love. Though I speak with a tongue, and there's hyperbole being used here, so we need to understand that. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. If this congregation is not sending love to every single member, we're nothing. We're not going to accomplish anything except we're going to lose parts of the body when they don't get the air to breathe, they don't feel the love, they're not connected to the circulatory system, the heart of a congregation. And in Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So this love helps us, speaking the truth in love, this love helps us to grow. And so if you want to grow and, and become more mature, you're going to love like Jesus loved. You're going to love the way that you've received. You're going to give to the next person and the next person, and it needs to filter down and through the system to every single member of the body of Christ. Our senses. Can you name the five senses real quick? <laughs> I asked Kathy that yesterday, and she got four of them. And, and the reason I did that was because I was trying to do it real fast, and I was getting four, and I go, what is the deal? Why can't I remember them all? So it's sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch, right? That's the five senses. What do those five senses do for us? Well, they, they help us navigate life, right? You know, if something's too hot or something's too cold or... Our, you, visually, we see a monster coming at us, you know, or whatever. You know, our, these senses help us navigate our life. 
If one of those senses is lost, we can still operate. We can still get through with life. But it's more difficult for us. We have to somehow compensate for, for the loss of that today. sense. For more, check us out on YouTube or come if worship with us on Sunday mornings in Lizzie. If we lose part of our congregation, can we survive? Yeah, we'll, we'll survive. We'll do that. But we're going to be at a deficit. There's going to, it's going to take time to, to do that. And it's, it's a challenge. We're not going to be as effective or efficient. And, and we could also lose somebody but not really lose them. If you just get disinterested and you come and you sit on the pews and that's all that you do, it's kind of the same thing. We've lost that part of the sense of the, of the body, of the physical body in that, in that regard. What is the spiritual side of that? Discernment. Hebrews 5.14 says, But strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Our five senses guide us and help us navigate this life. But discernment helps us to see the difference between good and evil. And I will tell you that even over time as you grow and mature, it'll help you even see differences between good and better and those sorts of things, to be able to make judgments about where you need to go as an individual. Elders have that responsibility for a congregation as well, of using judgment to, to make some of, those, some of those decisions. And we need to have our senses. In this case, the senses here is the thinking, reasoning, logic part. It's not the five senses in this verse. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that thinking, reasoning, logic, that we need to have that exercised, so that we can discern it. Where are you going to get, where are you going to get that exercise? 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16, we often read 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Right? We read that a lot, but let's go to the next verse and look at it. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. What's the purpose of studying, or what is one of the purposes of studying? So that you can recognize what is profane and vain babblings, what's false doctrine, what's false teachings, what's not good behavior or good conduct, all of those kinds of things. You're going to learn those things when you study to show yourself approved unto God. Just like having our senses exercised so that we can discern good and evil. And babes in Christ don't do that as effectively as those that have been in Christ for a few years. It's just the way it is. It, it comes with time and study and example and mentoring and those sorts of things. So what's the basis for discernment? 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 tells us that. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That's the basis of discernment. So if you want to grow and mature in the body of Christ, you're going to do what? You're going to spend time studying and meditating on His Word. goes back to the nutrition again, right? That's what you're going to do if you want to be able to discern good from evil or good from better and those sorts of things. The immune system is such an incredible thing uh, to think about how our immune system Works. Nutrition plays its part, etc. Rest plays its part. Exercise plays its part in helping us to have a good immune system. 
And here we have a, a, an armor that a knight would wear, you might say, in the medieval time periods. And that's great for protecting the outside of the body. Well, it may not be great, but it does pretty good as protecting the outside of the body where the immune system really focuses more on the inside. But what happens when you sustain an injury to, to your body? Say you got a cut or you got a splinter in your finger, right? What does your immune system immediately do? It sends white blood cells to go attack the problem and to begin trying to kill an infection, etc. And you've had, I'm sure, a splinter or time and you couldn't get it out and over time pus and other things built up and you kept messing with it and finally that splinter pops out and and it kind of cleans up but it's still sore for a little while well those blood those white blood cells are in there they have gone into battle and they're fighting uh, an infection and eventually usually that immune system a healthy immune system will cure the problem right What's the equivalent? It's God's armor. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, very familiar verse to us. Let's spend a little time on this. Don't take it for granted that we understand it and so forth because it's such a common verse that we, we look at. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I want us to first of all notice that the immune system, our spiritual immune system, God's armor, it works in Christ and in the Lord. If you're not in the Lord, you don't get the privilege and benefit of having this protection and this armor. You're on your own. You're going to confront the enemy by yourself, toe-to-toe. But if you're in the Lord, you are in the power of His might. And you have help and you have resources to fight that battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles of the devil. Wiles. That's uh, the deceitfulness, the cunningness, the, the, the lying, the, the deceit. All of those sorts of things is wrapped up in that word, the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So because of these things, he says, because of this, take unto you the whole armor of God. Now, he said it twice. It must be important that we take on the whole armor of God. That we don't think that we can, we're ready to go into battle when we only have a helmet on. We don't have anything else on. It doesn't make sense to go in, into the battle. Can you imagine an NFL player deciding, you know, I'm not going to wear my helmet today. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to play football the way that they play football today. He'd get crushed. He'd get killed. Be brain damaged the rest of his life if he survived. Right? So it doesn't make sense. He's telling us here to put on the whole armor of God. And it's for a reason. It's important. He says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we see this, this armor is a spiritual armor. It's not something you see on the outside, but it's a spiritual armor. It's the truth. It's righteousness. It's the gospel of peace. It's the shield of faith. It's the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Those things are there for our protection. And the more time, the more you grow and mature as in Christ, 
the stronger your shield becomes, the stronger your helmet of salvation comes, and the more protection you're afforded. So that's why we, Ty and I as elders here, really harp on the need to be in God's Word and to spend time in God's Word so that you'll grow and you'll mature and your armor will just get stronger and stronger and stronger as you grow and mature in Christ. Now I want to talk about specifically the sword of the Spirit uh, for a moment, which is the Word of God. These other, other items are basically defensive in nature. The sword of the Spirit is both defensive and offensive. And it's important that we recognize that and that we're ready to use our sword in that. Notice he says stand. When we have an issue that we're confronting, we can stand against that. Whatever that temptation is, whatever that trial is, we can stand. We don't have to flee. We don't have to cower. We don't have to hide in the corner. We don't have to do those things if we're equipped. And we're, we're equipped with God's armor. Now, I'm not saying be cocky and all of those sorts of things, but have confidence and where you are in your relationship to, to Christ and to God. And stand. And take a stand. It's okay to do that. Now what happens? Uh, I mentioned, you know, if, if your body got, a, got an injury to it, we used a splinter as an example. Those white blood cells rush to the aid. What are you and I supposed to do when a brother in Christ sins, gives in to sin, or is undergoing some spiritual battle? What do we do? We ought to be like those white blood cells. We take up our sword, we take up our armor, and we go to their defense. We try to pull them from the fire if that's what is needed. We can use that sword to defend them while they catch their breath. We can use that sword on them to heal them, to help get that splinter out of their, out of their finger or whatever. We owe a responsibility to the rest of the body that as we grow and mature, we need to come to the aid of others. I've been pulled out of the fire more than once in my, in my life. And I suspect that several of you have been as well. And it's a wonderful thing that somebody can be skillful with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and be able to use it to pierce your heart or pierce my heart and to, and to restore me. Ye which are spiritual, the Scripture says, restore such a one. And that's what we need to do. Check up. Oh, I love these. Every six months. Used to be once a year. Well, it used to be once every whenever years, right? And then it was once a year. Twice a year now, I've got to go in and get checked up. I get poked and prodded and uh, checked out and weighed and blood pressured and, and uh, blood drawn and Medications checked, my heart listened to, my lungs listened to, and my eyes checked by following the finger and all of those sorts of things. Well, it's good to get checkups. It's good to know where we are, and it's a, and it's a reminder that I need to lose some of this because I'm, I'm usually pretty good for a month or so after a doctor visit, right? And then a month before the next doctor's visit, I get good again, <laughs> You know, but I still, I'm not good enough because I go in and I still get told you need to lose weight, lower your cholesterol, lower your blood pressure, right? Those are things that we get in these checkups. And those are good reminders, even if we don't like to do it. What's the spiritual side of this? Accountability. Uh, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ from Galatians 6.10. 
James 5 and 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he hath not another to help him up. If we want to grow and mature in Christ, we need to recognize we need accountability. We need to be with people and pray with people and confess our faults and talk about our trials and our tribulations and, and work with each other and study together and pray together. We need that. It, it helps us to, to grow and mature in Christ when we have that kind of relationship among the body of Christ. So we mentioned in the beginning that there were three signs that emphasize you're not growing. Envying, strife, divisions. Those are signs that you're still a babe in Christ or you're carnal, one or the two, if not both, I guess. So those are signs that you're not growing. So what are signs that you are growing? Well, production is, is one of them. When I, that peach tree, I hope it makes you hungry. It makes me hungry. So, How do you know a peach tree is maturing? Well, it begins putting off fruit. And you can prune it, and it'll put off more fruit or better fruit and those sorts of things. So that's how you know that it's growing. What about, what about us? What are signs of growth and maturity on our part? Galatians 1 and 10 says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God is being fruitful. And you need to recognize that every good deed you do sows a seed. Plants a seed every time. Cup of cold water in my name, Jesus said, and you'll not lose your reward. You're planting a seed. And if I give you, if you see me thirsty and you walk up and hand me a glass of water, there's going to be an, an instant appreciation for that cup of cold water that's going to make me, me feel better. But guess what it's going to do also? I'm going to be looking for opportunities to serve you. Not in a quid pro quo sort of way that you scratch my back, I'll scratch. Not in that sort of way. It's just that we naturally want to serve those who are serving us. We just naturally want to do that. It's, it's within us to do that. And it's good to do that. It's good to thank people. It's good to be appreciative. It's good to give and to receive. And we need to, we need to do that. And every good work we do, we plant a seed. And that's with that cashier at, the, at Kroger's or wherever it is. Plant good seeds everywhere you go. You never know where it's going to germinate. And you may never know. You may find out in heaven a benefit that that sowing that seed, that moment of kindness, what that meant to that person. You'll find out in heaven. Galatians 5, and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I know you're tempted to sing it. <laughs> Those of you that know the song. When you begin demonstrating love and joy and peace in these items, then you're witnessing maturity and growth. You're starting to see growth and maturity in your actions when you begin displaying and producing the fruit uh, of the Spirit. And in Hebrew, or Hebrews, John 15 and 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Here he's using a, an analogy or a parable of he's the vine and we're the branches of, of, a, of a grape or in a, you know, a vineyard. 
And he says, you, you can't do anything unless you abide in me. So we have to abide in him. That's first of all. Then we begin producing fruit. And he says the husbandman or, you know, the, the gardener, if you will, will come out and he's going to prune those branches and take out things out of, out of the branches way that's going to allow it to produce better fruit. And, and that's what the Spirit is going to do for us too. The Spirit, as we grow and mature, we begin losing things that really we don't need. Their old habits, their old whatever. We began acting more in, in positive ways and in loving ways and all the things are the fruit of the Spirit. And we begin to bear more fruit and better fruit. So he says, you'll, you'll, you'll do that and you'll be my disciple by bearing much fruit. Now there's another aspect to look at. Matthew 28, 8, uh, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore into all nations... Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What is the fruit of a peach tree? It's a peach. What's the fruit of an apple tree? It's an apple. What's the fruit of a Christian? It ought to be another Christian, right? But you say, Jerry, I've never baptized anyone. I've never actually led them to the conclusion that they needed to obey the gospel. What, about, what does that mean for me if I haven't done that? And, and I will say, watch this. Let me show you something. These are representative photos of those who have believed and obeyed the gospel through baptism and been added to the kingdom of Christ, had their sins washed away by Christ. And there are, these are representative. They're not exhaustive. There are people here today who was baptized during the 30 years that this congregation and its predecessors, Northeast and, and Spring Creek, produced a lot more than what's up here. This is just representative. And what's also not up here are the, the lives that have been restored. And every one of you played a part in every one of these baptisms. Now, there's some in India, Nigeria, uh, Belize, Belize, uh, Nigeria, uh, Nigeria. So we got representative, uh, and, and this church has supported the evangelistic efforts of Nigeria and of India and Belize. And over the 30 years, we've supported Nigeria and and India pretty much all that time. Maybe not exactly 30 years, but pretty close to it. And Belize, we've been supporting the last 10 years or so. I'm telling you, there are hundreds or thousands of people that have believed and obeyed the gospel because of the work that's associated with this congregation, with this group of people. Now, do I share this to say, we've made it. Look at us. No, not that at all. I do it for two reasons. One, I want to encourage you. Because if we just take a snapshot of the last month, or we take a snapshot of the last year, or maybe even the last two years, we can begin, and I'm just throwing those numbers out as, as example. There's been baptisms in those times. But I'm just saying, a lot of times we can go and say, what are we accomplishing? What have we done? And I think it's important that you recognize what you have done. 
you have impacted the souls of thousands of people for the cause of Christ. And I say it for the second reason, to warn us. When this congregation started, we started with five families. We had four teachers in that time frame, in those, in those early years. We quadrupled the number of teachers that we had 30 years ago. We've quadrupled five times the number of members that we had five, 30 years ago. Scriptures are very clear on this concept. To whom much is given, much is required. So it's a warning to us to not give up. Don't think we've arrived. We, as a congregation, we, we, are not at, we are not grown. We are not mature. We're headed that direction, and we've got a lot to be thankful for of, of the, the impact that we've been able to have in different people's life. And, and that's good, and that should make us feel good, and that should encourage us to continue the fight, to continue the study, to continue all the things that we need to do. I could, I could tell you with, heart, with tears in my eyes of people that we've baptized and lost over those years too. And families that disintegrated right under our eyes. I could tell you those things, heartbreaking things in, a, in that time period too. We haven't arrived. The work is in front of us. We're not even halfway there yet. So I want to encourage you, but I also want to warn you. There's a lot riding on us and a lot riding on the efforts that we put together. And the way for us to continue to grow and mature as a body of Christ is for every single one of us to do our best to give what we can. One of the greatest compliments was made to one of the disciples, one of these women that followed Jesus and ministered to Jesus and broke an alabaster box and anointed him. And Thomas and some of the others said, man, we should have sold this and given it to the poor. And Jesus says, she has done what she could. What a great compliment. Have you done what you could? So I mentioned in the beginning that growth and maturity is not a destination, but it's a journey. What is the destination? So let me just take a few minutes and, and tell you the journey. And let me tell you from a groom's eye. The scriptures use examples of, of Christ and the bride of Christ, the church. April 13th, 1979, around 7.30 at night, Yes, it was a Friday also, Friday the 13th, April 1979. I stood on a stage and watched Kathy step into the aisle. I'm going to tell you, that was the greatest moment in my life. And the beauty that I saw and the perfection that I saw and the responsibility I saw and all of those things. And if you've been a groom and you've seen your wife step out, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Her dress was perfect, her hair perfect, flowers, the veil, all of those things. There's coming a day when there's going to be a more beautiful bride that's going to step into the aisle, and that's the church. That's you. That's you. What are you doing to be what Christ is looking for? That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. It'll be the greatest privilege in my life if I can just be the, the little toe toenail, if I can be that. And I want to be the most beautiful and gorgeous toenail that I can be, right? 
But you and I are the bride of Christ. What are we doing to prepare ourselves to step out and to meet our groom, Jesus Christ? who loves us and died for us and bled for us and was humiliated for Daryl, talked about it around the table so that he might present it to himself, his bride, and whom he will take to heaven for eternity. What are you doing as an individual to contribute to the beauty of the bride of Christ? What can you do? The church is here for a reason to one of the reasons of the the reason that the church is here is so that we can help a community of believers to be all that they can be we have a responsibility of this congregation to create an environment for growth and maturity for spiritual learning and 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 being the kind of people that will reach out and that the the heart of the congregation will touch every member and we want it to be that way If you're here today and you don't feel like you're one of those faces that we put up, you can be today. We got clothes. We have water. We're ready. We can assist you in that. Maybe you need to be restored. Maybe you at one point have believed and obeyed the gospel, but you need restoration. You've walked away. You're not living that commitment. You've you've left, and now you're ready to come home. The church is here, ready to assist you if you'll come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing. Thanks for joining our sermon series podcast today. For more, check us out on YouTube or come worship with us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings.